This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, welcome to the first video in my top 50 games of all time series. Uh, this is the third time I've done such a series. In 2015, I did a top 100 games of all time. 2019, I did a top 50. And then now I'm doing a top 50 again here at the beginning of 2023. Uh, so I've learned some things over the years from doing these kind of lists. 50 is kind of my sweet spot, I think. I kind of felt like that again after making this list <clears throat> again. So I'm going to do a couple of things just sort of differently off the top. I'll mention this again in the last video. I'm not going to repeat myself every video. Uh, but these are my favorite games. These may not be like the best quality games in some cases. I talked a lot about that in a video that I'll link below where I talked about Brass Birmingham kind of reaching the number one ranked game on Board Game Geek. I talked a little bit about there about the quality versus, you know, kind of like my preference and stuff like that, kind of a little bit of my thoughts there. Um, one other thing that I'm going to do is as I go through these, I'm gonna give you kind of an alternative game that kind of fits with the game in some other kind of way, uh, you know, linked to mechanically or thematically or something like that. And then I'm going to talk briefly about player count. And then, of course, I'll talk, you know, kind of generally about the game. Uh, so that's kind of how this is going uh, to work. And then I'll have to save some other comments towards the last video because otherwise I'll kind of spoil the list. Uh, so let's just go ahead and jump into it. My number 50 game of all time is Seven Wonders Duel. Absolutely love this game. Have all the expansions for it. I really like uh, the first expansion. Uh, the other expansions are really good too, but I really like that setup. Uh, I have a ton of fun playing this. I've played it probably a couple of dozen times at least. And I love the back and forth and the uh, sort of civilization types of themes that go with it. And that pyramid mechanic where you have the cards and the pyramids and you're selecting and you're kind of, you know, playing a little bit of like, well, you choose that. No, I'm going to go down this way. I'm going to try to, you know, sort of stave off, you know, the tough choice as long as you can is a really, really cool mechanic. And then it has all the fun scoring stuff of the original Seven Wonders game. Uh, it's just a fantastic two-player experience. One of my favorite two-player games uh, of all time. Hence, it's on this list. I highly recommend it. I actually prefer it to the original Seven Wonders, funnily enough. I would just rather play this every single time. Um, and it's a bit abstract. You know, the theme does come across, but it's a little abstract. But the abstraction is what I really like about it, that engaging mechanic piece. Um, you know, so it's a two-player game. Two-player game only. There's not really anything else to talk about player count-wise with this one. Uh, the alternative to this one is a game called Watergate. And this is uh, sort of about the Watergate investigation during the Nixon era. And that's a two-player kind of card-driven game. You could kind of make a distinction with that game through Twilight Struggle and so on. I really like that game a lot. Um, it's, these, these are both two very different style of two-player games. Uh, you know, a lot of two-player games are like head-to-head -head games like Battle Line or Lost Cities or things like that, or, you know, like Twilight Struggle and that kind of thing. We had some air control, some tug-of-war mechanics. These two things just do it so differently um, that I really appreciate them. And Several Wonder Duel, I think, is just a really great kind of overlooked game in general. I don't think it's that overlooked. I think it's in the top 100 on BGG. I can't remember if it's still up there. Anyway, that's number 50, Seven Wonders Duel. Uh, number 49 is called Chimera and More. Um, specifically, it's the Chimera part of the game that I like. It originally came out, gosh, I don't know, 10 years ago is Chimera. And, and now the, I think the recent edition you can get now is Chimera and More. What this really is is three-player ladder climbing game like Tichu and so on. This is my absolute favorite ladder climbing game. There's just so many 
fun little like combinations and ways to score points and you know uh, kind of slough points off and cards off in different ways it's just to me it's the whole package it plays great two and three player you don't have to rely on the whole team aspect for teach you which is fine but that's not really an environment that I usually find myself in. Um, the art is gorgeous on the cards and everything is just really great. I know uh, Ralph Emerson, the designer, he um, he worked in this game for years and it really, really shows because we just played the heck out of this game. Uh, it's just a fantastic, great game that you just will always kind of find something kind of new and fun about it. Uh, when you come back and, and reinvestigate it. I think I prefer it at the three-player count, talking about player count, and I just really can't re recommend it enough. If you like trick-taking games, you like ladder-climbing games and that kind of stuff, or if you've never played a ladder-climbing game and you're more in a fan of like The Crew or other kind of trick-taking games, give this one a shot. And it's just a lot of fun. There's just a lot to chew on for such a small little package. Now, the alternative here is The Crew, a game that I have on my shelf. I've got both versions of it. Really enjoy The Crew. The Crew is kind of a co-op trick-taking game. And again, with the last entry, Seven Wonders Duel, this one, Chimera and Moore and The Crew are two really unique um, kind of styles of games uh, in, this, in this sort of space. And I just really, really appreciate them. Uh, one little note here. I kind of failed to mention this at the beginning is some of these would show up in my top 100 if you know if i'd gotten to 100 um but it gets it gets kind of wonky after 50 for me it's like i could kind of take or leave games starting about like right around the space i'm in now um because there's a lot of great games there's probably another two 300 games that i think are really good but i mean who wants to hear somebody talk for like their top 300 games um so some of these that you're seeing show up these would be in my top 100 for sure if if i did it Okay, so that's the number 49, Chimera and more. The next one is number 48, Marvel Champions, uh, the card game. Uh, now for my money, this is just the best LCG uh, that I've played. Um, I have everything for it. I play it constantly. It's been a couple of months since I played it. Uh, I haven't played any of the new X-Men stuff, which I've got, but I played everything up to that pretty much. I think I played all the heroes I've got. Um, really enjoy it. It's fun solo. I like playing it uh, with friends. Uh, I even played it four player and that was a lot of fun. The kind of table dynamic and the discussion, the strategizing that goes on there is really, really cool. Um, I would say in terms of the player count side of this, you probably should play with the variant. Uh, I think it's an official variant. It's on Board Game Geek where basically you deal uh, one extra kind of encounter card on the villain phase if you're playing solo just to kind of toughen it up a little bit because it, the difficulty kind of scales with the player count. Although that's not always true, like sometimes it just kind of depends on the makeup of the villain versus the hero and what that is. And that's part of what I really like about it, is just throwing it ever, together different combos of heroes versus villains and stuff like that and mixing and matching. And kind of the comic book feel of it is really neat because you can throw up, I'm just making up stuff off the top of my head there, but you can throw like Silver Surfer versus Magneto instead of, you know, Wolverine versus Magneto or whatever. So you can kind of push and pull on all that kind of stuff and set up these kind of situations which you would see in like the most fun versions of the comic books that you would read, these kind of cool not like what if scenarios, but it's like, you know, oh, that remember that one time the Punisher ran into Dr. Doom, which is not like they don't normally, you know, cross paths. And that's to me is one of the coolest parts of the game is you can do that. And there's also little mini campaigns, which I've enjoyed. I think all of, I haven't done the new X-Men box, but the only one I didn't really like, I think was the first one, the Red Skull one, if I recall correctly. The other ones that I played, the Thanos one, the Infinity one, um, 
gosh, I can't remember the names. Uh, the Wrecking Crew stuff was good. All the Goblin stuff was fun. That wasn't really a campaign, but you could play it as a campaign. I've really enjoyed like everything about this game. Um, yeah, and so that's that's that one. A player count. I kind of talked a little bit about that. Kind of like it at all player counts. Uh, now the alternative to this one would be the versus system two player card game. Uh, it's the same kind of uh, Marvel themed comic book card game, but this is a strictly two player head to head game. I've had a lot of fun with this over the years, even back in its original incarnation as the versus system back in like 2004, 2003, 4, 5 in that time. Uh, really good uh, kind of idea. And for a lot of the same reasons I just talked about with like the interchangeability of throwing up, you know, different heroes or villains or whatever the character deck is that you're constructing against each other and just kind of testing those little scenarios out. Um, it's something that that particular system gets to me because magic is fine, but it's such just a game to me. It's got, I mean, the theme immediately drops away when I'm playing magic and it's just like, I am just trying to win this game. And that's not really that fun when I'm playing a little card game with a deck. I want to like, you know, get invested a little bit. And these two games especially kind of put me in that same space. And then I can, you know, trigger my competitive edge, you know, as I'm playing through that. So that's, that's where these two games really kind of come in. So that's number 48, Marvel Champions, the card game. Number 47 is Court of the Medici, or Medici, (laughs) however you want to say it. This is a very, very unknown little two-player card game that is gussied up with some, you know, like uh, Renaissance-era, post-Renaissance Baroque-era artwork of these kind of two families in these warring sort of like houses. And you play these cards, and they just have big numbers on them, and you build little stacks of cards and try to match your stack of cards you add up all the numbers on it to attack another stack and delete that one and they have this inner and outer court type of thing going on it's very very abstract it feels kind of like a reiner knizia game and the games can go very quick they can be a couple of minutes they can go you know up to like 10 12 minutes or something like that so it's a game that you're going to play a lot of back and forth it's not a game that you really sit down and play once and be satisfied you want to play it a few rounds because you kind of need to establish a meta with your partner that you're playing against but there's just nothing like this game. It is just pure fun. I thought I hated it like the first couple times I played it, um, but I had a buddy of mine at work that we used to play it all the time, and he no longer works there, unfortunately. But we would just be like, you know, if, if the game day at lunch was only the two of us, that was like our easy call, instant, we're gonna bust that out. And it put us back in this kind of uh, sort of headspace where we were back in this kind of little world that we had sort of constructed with this sort of weird, you know, I don't know, medieval sort of court jester type of vibe with this really abstract number game and kind of guessing and sort of card counting and stuff because the decks that each player has is very small. Uh, so it's easy to kind of try to, you know, suck out cards. Talking about magic, you know, in the previous entry, try to get them to suck out and play their big cards or the little effect cards and stuff like that because some of the low numbers have a little bit of an effect. Um, but I really can't recommend it enough. It's it's probably hard to find, but if you do find it, it's going to be like dollar store, you know, bargain bin, and it's just great. It's just fantastic. I love it. Now, the alternative to this game is a game called Linko. Uh, this is it's kind of separate from this, but it's similar in the way that you're playing these kind of number sets and sort of you know grabbing and getting these different cards and building up these different little stacks and stuff like that and trying to trigger these little like events based on the numbers that you're playing out now this is 
a better game with probably three or four players. I think you can play it two player. I'm sure you can. Um, but it's Linko is a, a kind of a similar idea. It's it's I'm, that's being very tenuous there, but of uh, this sort of meta game of like timing and stuff like that with the numbers and all that. And but it's it's better for multiple multiple players. Where Court of Medici is strictly two player, Linko is is better multiplayer. Uh, so I highly recommend that. And these these are simple enough games though that you could play with family members, you know, whatever people that aren't really into games. Because the rules are so dead simple that you can get into them. There's a ton of like depth there that's more than meets the eye with both of the games. Uh, but like I said, Court of the Medici is just like it's just a very very special game to me. Uh, so that's number forty seven. Now number forty six is Imperial Settlers Empires of the North, and this is kind of like the third iteration of card games that come out from Portal Games. There was Fifty First State, and then Imperial Settlers, and then Imperial Settlers empires of the north and i think this to me i think is like the best iteration of that although i'll talk a little bit about an alternative here in a minute uh player count i like it two three four players it doesn't really matter to me i think it works good at all those different counts i like this one a little bit better than the others because each player kind of has their own little deck they just kind of live out of their deck so you pick these like different kind of like this alternate history nationalities because you've got Romans and Japanese and, um, you know, Aztecs and all these kind of different things. And you have your own little deck and your own little kind of engine of cards. And you've got this cool little like worker placement aspect to it to like go and get resources and stuff like that. And it just seems to work very smoothly and elegantly uh, in a way that the others don't quite get there. Um, and I really like it because it feels like very civilization-esque. And, you know, you kind of feel like you've built up this little empire and you can, you can build up these little card combos and stuff like that with the card displays and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, so to me, this one just works the best. It's just the perfect sort of summation of this kind of evolution of this design. Although my alternative is 51st State. Um, and I just recently got my 51st State Ultimate Edition. And I've been playing the heck out of that solo because there's actually a workable solitaire mode in this 51st State Edition. Now, I have not yet played the solitaire for Empires of the North, Imperial Settlers Empires of the North. I don't know if it's any good. They had some kind of weird, kind of one-off funky solo modes for Empires of the North, but they weren't very satisfying at all. I wouldn't recommend those at all. Now, they have like kind of a new box that is supposed to be dedicated. So I don't know if that's any good. I have some hope for it. I need to try to find it or pick it up. Based on the Borgo or Automa or something like that, it's called for 51st State. That's actually really, really fun. And that's a good little package. Now, 51st State is a meaner version of Empires of the North. There's a lot more attacking and stuff like that. Uh, especially when you have the new era expansion in there, uh, which I've really enjoyed. Um, and so we'll see. Maybe this, if I play through more of my 51st state, I might overtake Empires of the North. I'm not really sure. Um, this Ultimate Edition I have has some expansions that I've never tried before. I'd only played Winter and New Era before. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But if you, if you like kind of a less in your face Imperial Settlers, I would do the Empires of the North. And if you like a mean one with attacking, then do 51st state. Um, but I think I'd still lean Empires of the North for now, but I want to try the solo mode. If it's really good, like the 51st state one seems to be, then it would even push it up more, I think. So that's number 46. Uh, number 45 is a game called Orsindos Volk. I think that means we are the people or we the people. 
and that is a two-player only, although the expansion has a four-player team mode, which I've never tried. But it's really a two-player only game, just like a Twilight Struggle, that kind of game, car-driven, area control, uh, all that fun stuff. I really like this one. Kind of the theme of this this video is kind of the uniqueness of games. And this is one of the easily, one of the most unique games I've ever played. So there's no like combat or war and this kind of thing. It's more, it's very Cold War where it's, you know, you're trying to sort of economically choke out the other side. So it's East Germany versus West Germany. And you're sort of, you know, uh, cutting off supply lines and all this kind of stuff and triggering events and multi-use cards and all these kinds of things Just like Twilight Struggle and that kind of style of game And this one is just it's a little bit of a bear to get through um, I haven't played it in a little bit of time probably at least two years but And, I, and you know when I go to play through it, I'm like oh my brain's gonna like I need to relearn this thing Thankfully, somebody made a video about it. I think it's okay. So I can go watch that video and relearn the game that way. Um, but I really just have had just such a unique, fun experience with this, the times that I have played it, and I cannot recommend it enough. Um, it just takes you, the game takes you places, and that's what I really like about this one. Uh, so the alternative to this is another kind of uh, similar theme in the vein of uniqueness here and that's this flashpoint south china sea which is a game just come out uh last year and i've played that more and more uh recently and i really cannot get a, quite enough of this game now flashpoint south china sea is kind of like a more medium weight twilight struggle uh it's set in the south china sea it's u.s versus china in a lot of ways and it's also got kind of an economic vibe with a little bit of military overtones in terms of trying to control their influence in that South China Sea with those other states like, you know, Malaysia and um, Japan and, you know, Korea and Indonesia and all these kinds of places there and trying to control that sort of um, physically, I wouldn't say militarily, but physically kind of controlling the blockade of the straits and stuff coming out of that South China Sea and also kind of the economic and influential types of control that you get in the different states it's kind of abstract a little bit. Um, but that is a really, really cool game as well. So that's number five, or Sindas Volk. Uh, number 44 is Lost Ruins of Arnak. I really have enjoyed this game. It's really kind of climbed up uh, the list, so to speak, with the expansion, or two expansions. There's a there's a nice kind of like solo campaign expansion, and then there's another expansion with the leaders. You get kind of different asymmetric uh, kind of starting abilities and stuff like that, which is really both those things just really carry the game up higher. Um, player count wise, I like it. I would say I would like it at one, two, and three. Four players can go a little bit long, but the time I played it with four, there was some new players at the table. So maybe if everybody had played, it'd be okay. A little bit long at four. But the other player counts has been fantastic. Uh, I really like it. It's just kind of a weird, quirky, fantastical Indiana Jones, you know, but unrealistic with magic and, and well, even more unrealistic than Indiana Jones movies are. Um, more like a fantasy-esque almost Indiana Jones style movie. A really cool, nice card play, worker placement, deck building, lots of fun stuff. Just lots to chew on. Just a nice kind of almost heavy Euro um, 
that just does some cool stuff that I really, really like. And the alternative is a game that just came out last year called Endless Winter, which is another kind of like worker placement deck building thing. Both games have really good art. Um, the Endless Winter is a little bit more of a realistic-ish uh, style depiction. It's kind of like cavemen era and you're building up your little civilization and your little tribe and that kind of stuff and recruiting new workers with the cards. Uh, really, really cool game. It's a little bit lighter game, a little bit more, eh, well, a little bit more easygoing than Lost Runes of Arnak. Lost Runes of Arnak is a little bit more unforgiving, a little bit more like discreetly strategic in some ways. It, that's, it's hard to really kind of pin that down on. Endless Winter is kind of like more of an open bag, a little bit more of a smorgasbord, a little bit more, they're both kind of point salads in a way, because there's a lot of ways to get points, but Lost Runes of Arnak feels a little bit more focused. Not that it's like better or worse necessarily than Endless Winter, but it's just a little bit more focused on kind of what you need to do on your turn and stuff like that, where Endless Winter feels like you can be a little bit looser with your play. Um, not not a lot. I mean, I'm just, I'm really splitting hairs there. And Endless Winter, the player count, um, let's see, the solo game I didn't really like on Endless Winter though. So it's kind of like, just kind of there. Uh, player count wise, yeah, two players really good. Uh, three players is really good, and I'm failing to recall if I played it with four. I don't think I did actually. Um, so, so yeah. So, but Lost Runes of Arnak I really really like. Um, it's just done really really well. I'm curious if they'll come out with some other expansion. We'll see. That's number 44. Number 43 is Arc Nova, and this is a game that's got a lot of buzz and press over the last year or so. It's one of these, again, kind of a worker placement aspect to it, kind of a card building aspect, not really deck building in this case, kind of like a tableau display building type of aspect, really kind of heavy in some ways, really cool theme. I love this theme of, you know, building up a zoo and you've got your little area board where you're building up these little hexagons and stuff like that. Can't, can't forget about that mechanic too, above, above just the cards and the worker placement, but you've got that little kind of spatial element too. So it kind of has a lot of things that are, at least right now, really hot in games. You've got your sort of spatial tetris kind of piece. You've got some nice card interactions, a little bit of worker placement and blocking and that kind of stuff. Some economical considerations. you got some card drafting kind of vibes going on when you get new cards into your deck and, or your hand. And the theme works really, really well, actually, where you get different types of animals, different kind of types of enclosures, you kind of do research projects and all the stuff. So you feel like you're kind of managing all of these various disparate aspects of, you know, running a zoo in this very abstract way. Um, just really, really fun. Uh, the, let's see, solo game is like, okay for this. It's, it's all right. Uh, I feel like it could use some development though, to be honest with you. It's it like accelerates too much at the end of the game. It's like this is not fair at all. <laughs> like when you're playing, like this is not realistic. I play this with many people. This is not how the game unfolds. So I don't know. You'd, I think you'd have to redo the solo part for that. So it's okay. Like it's fun because I really enjoy the game. So I've played it a few times solo just to kind of get through it. But then I just don't feel very satisfied at the end. Now two, three, four players. Again, probably two and three is the sweet spot. I think. Um, but again, if everybody was experienced, the four-player would be would be pretty good. Um, the other alternative to this, there's many alternatives to this that it gets compared to, Terraforming Mars being the one. My other favorite in this would be Underwater Cities. This is actually past Underwater Cities. 
I think when I did the review, I must have said Underwater Cities was kind of like ahead of it, but I think this is past it for me. Just because it's not as abstract as Underwater Cities. Now, I liked mechanically Underwater Cities more than Terraforming Mars, but Terraforming Mars, to be fair, was a little bit more thematic. Underwater Cities is just, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of thematic, right? But it's it's not as thematic as Terraforming Mars, although I, I prefer to play Underwater Cities over Terraforming Mars. But this kind of hits the sweet spot. I like the theme here with Arc Nova. I like the mechanics. I like the spatial element, um, which, you know, Underwater Seas has as well. I like all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but I would recommend Underwater Cities. Now, I do like the solo mode of Underwater Cities much better with the expansion. Uh, once you get that expansion, that solo mode really kind of takes off a life of its own. And I would recommend Underwater Cities with the expansion over uh, the base game. Uh, although not by much. I don't think it's an, a need right away if you want to get Underwater Cities and try it. Get the base game. You can live with that for probably a year or so. And then go to try to pick up the expansion later. Um, it doesn't add too much. It just adds more variety to the cards and stuff. And so I'd be curious to see with Ark Nova if they come out with an expansion. I don't think Ark Nova really needs one, though. I mean, I don't know. It'd probably ruin it. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. But because I think it's fine. Like, I don't have any issues. It's a huge, giant deck of cards already. And you can play it so many different ways, I think. Uh, so anyway, that's number 43, Ark Nova. Number 42 is Claustrophobia 1643. Uh, which is based on original game Claustrophobia, which came out in 2009. I think 1643 came out in 2016, something like that. What this is, is a two, it's, well, it's kind of like a two-player dungeon crawl, but not really. It's, it's so different. And again, this is kind of the theme this week. It's so unique. It's a two-player game, head-to-head. But one player is controlling kind of like the demon player. Or they could be considered, you know, like the dungeon master, or the game master. And they've got their own little kind of mechanics. Kind of like, think of it like playing like Descent. It's playing the game master in Descent. Or the Overlord, I guess you call it. The other player controls a whole party of four characters. They control all four characters. But the way the mechanics work is you're playing like this dice placement Euro game where you roll some dice and you place it on your different characters or if you're the demon player on your board and activate different abilities and then spend them to get cards, which you can spend the cards to do stuff. So you've got this kind of like resource action management thing going on and then there's like I don't know 25 scenarios or something like that and some of the scenarios are weighted towards the demon player and others are weighted towards the hero player and so they become like this little puzzle that you have to solve and it's not really like this quest or campaign or anything like that but they there's a narrative that kind of binds all those things together but one thing that I've liked to do when I play this is, you know, I'll play the demon player and then Billy across the table will play the heroes and then we'll take turns, you know, play the same scenario but swap roles and kind of see how good the other can do and that kind of stuff. And use these like big old tiles and sometimes you lay the tiles out so everything's fixed and you kind of know and you kind of understand sort of the cadence and the puzzle of like how many minions are going to be coming in every round or what sort of mini boss you're going to be fighting. And sometimes you'll be exploring and going through that and revealing tiles off a deck like you would in a dungeon crawl. Um, so it's just a really cool, tight experience. Great production, all this stuff. Um, just a great experience. There's, again, there's not really any game quite like this. Um, it's two-player only. Now, the alternative is uh, Warhammer Underworlds, which is set in the Age of Sigmar universe, and it's like a combination of kind of a, you know, 
miniature hex-based combat, you know, move your dudes around and fight and roll dice. But then you have like these two decks of cards that you build beforehand, like you would in Magic or Netrunner or something. They have like a scoring deck and then like an action deck where you, you trigger abilities and stuff like that. And then you have scoring cards that you try to draw and play to score different objectives. And there's this whole, there's like been tons, tons of stuff for it. Um, and there's been like six starter sets and then all these little like packs of, uh, you know, different war bands and stuff that you can buy. You don't customize your war bands in that case. You just buy the war band, you get a deck of cards with it. There's been a couple of like card packs. You just buy the cards. Um, and then there's, you know, the cards are mostly like also universal. There'll be specific cards for the specific warband that you buy, but then, uh, maybe greedily they pack in neutral cards in the warband. So even if you don't want to play that warband, there's neutral cards in there that you want to get. Yeah, so <laughs> that bugs me. I really like the game. That really bugs me. Um, although to be fair, they have gone back and like reprinted old neutral cards in their own card packs after some time. So you don't have to chase down every card either to play it. Uh, but it's a unique kind of game where you're, it's set in this kind of cool little universe, this like alternate sort of sub dimension of the Age of Sigmar universe, which, but although it's kind of moved around to these different locales over the different seasons of the game. Uh, but it's a really cool game that way as well. And it has this similar kind of puzzly vibe to it, to Claustrophobia 1643, which to be fair, I don't think you can really find. It's very hard to find this game, 1643. You can find it on the aftermarket. Uh, they've, they might do another Kickstarter or something like that to to bring it out, but they've been pretty like limited with it. Um, you probably could find the original Claustrophobia easier, and I do think 1643 is a better game, but only by you know a relative margin. The original is still really cool, and you could probably I think I, don't, I could be wrong, but you might be able to find that on the aftermarket a lot easier. And the cool thing about the original is the miniatures were actually pre-painted. In the original claustrophobia. So if you're not into painting and you don't like playing with gray plastic, you can find those and use it. And you'll have a fun. I think you'll have a great time. The demon player is probably pretty improved, I think, in the in the 1643 one, but it's still really cool in the original. Um, so anyway, that's number 42. Uh, the last one for today is number 41. And number 41 is the Gallerist. And this is a Vital Lacerda game. Uh, not my favorite Vital Assert game. You may see one coming up uh, next next video. Um, but this is a close second of my favorite Vital Assert games. I really love the theme of this one. It really comes through. It's a different, unique theme. We're kind of managing your gallery, trying to find new artists, you know, up-and-coming artists you're trying to kind of invest in. And then you kind of have, like, your different showings and all that kind of stuff, and you're building up this sort of um, uh, well-rounded, robust, you know, presentation of artists and then you have some dealings with the kind of the international market and all that kind of fun stuff too just a really 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 cool game i think this is the first eon o'toole art on a vitalis sort of game i could be wrong about that but this one i would say uh, we'll have one in the next video spoiler but i think this one artistically graphic design wise is my favorite just because there is just a lot going on on this game that is just very easy to kind of grok relatively, you know, for this style of game. Um, and it just really, really pulls you in. Uh, really, really great. Um, I don't even know. I th think this one has a solo mode, but I've never tried it as far as I remember. Um, player count wise, I frankly would play this two, three or four player. Uh, you know, it's going to take a little longer for, but 
if you've got some people sitting down, like there's enough going on in, in, in your turn in a four-player game where it's like, okay, I did my turn. Take your time, guys. <laughs> I'm going to be a minute anyway. I don't need the turn coming right back to me because I need to figure out what the heck I'm going to do. So if it takes a little extra time, that's okay. I mean, as long as you have enough time to finish the game, we're all good because I need as much time as I can <laughs> to figure out my next turn. So that's okay with the gallerist. Um, yeah, so it's a great game. Uh, then the alternative would be another Lacerda game, and that would be uh, Vinos. Vinos is probably be my third favorite uh, Vital Lacerda game. I think this was his first game, and this is kind of like wine selling and making and that kind of stuff, which was kind of a popular theme about 10 years ago. And it's a really cool game. I mean, it's it's just inching up there. This is when I, like I mentioned earlier in the video, if I did a top 100, this would slip its way up in there. And, um, and yeah, so it's just one of those tight economic games. I would get the second edition. You could probably find the first edition relatively cheap. Second edition is better. Uh, better components but better a little bit tweaked design as well but that first edition is just fine if you can find that on the cheap i i wouldn't dissuade you from from getting it um tight game a two three and four player again i would play this and play that one at any player count uh lacerda's games are kind of hit or miss for me mostly hit um but these couple here that i'm talking about here are just really really fun games they are hugely crunchy but somehow the theme really, really comes through uh, in the games. And especially with these two, there's one I said I'll mention in the next video. Thematically, I think it's actually a little weaker than these, but I just prefer it mechanically just that much better. Uh, but Galors and Venus, they are like a nice, perfect marriage of theme and mechanics. And anybody that tells you Euros are not mechanic and they're dry, I mean, okay whatever <laughs> like sure just because they're hard you know that i don't think you can dissuade that and if they're too hard and too complicated and you don't want to play them that's okay like that i get it there's days where like i don't even want to look at the gallerist because i my brain is not ready for it i just not in that kind of mood i want to roll dice and have fun and some days i want to like seep into this economic and mechanical just soup and have fun and the, the Gallers and Venos, especially, those two do a really good job of it. And gosh, if it ain't thematic, I'm telling you, it's thematic. So it just works really well. And I, I just, to me, it's a marvel. Just kind of ran out the video. You know, it's unique. It's a marvel that I'm able to get to that thematic place with such a absolute software engineer level of mechanics that should just defy all of that. And the games, the games do it. The games do it for sure. Okay, so that's number 41, The Gallers. That's the last one uh, for this video. Uh, and we'll, we'll see you next time for the next one.